This is Dr. Carmitra Burton, and welcome to season two of the Mind Your Business podcast. The Mind Your Business podcast provides information and inspiration for entrepreneurs and leaders. In today's episode, we speak with Jay Bailey, president and CEO of the Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. We speak about the economic state of the black community, how RCIE is fostering entrepreneurial mindsets, and how you can get involved in the RCIE mission. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. All right, Jay Bailey, my friend, how you doing this morning? I couldn't be better. I've got Dr. Carmetria Burton in the building. I mean, what could be better than that? So I'm good. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here friend to the podcast thank you for your support oh of course um, our listeners should know we record right here at the russell center in innovation for entrepreneurship so thank you so much for supporting it as long so, as you're doing it you'll have a home here thank you mm-hmm. this is season two for us and i could not think of a better way to kick Aww. it off with you right well, thank you my friend um that is doing so much in the atlanta community for black entrepreneurs so i want to talk about that today um but first what i really like about you and knowing about you you're from georgia you don't meet many people from georgia born and raised absolutely this state has become so such a melting pot for people right Mm. everybody migrate everybody calls um atlanta the black mecca Mm. black hollywood right Mm. tell me about how it feels to be an atlanta native and what it felt like growing up here atlanta's been a special place um i was born on boulevard uh, but raised in the deck, and there's a very deep distinction between Decatur, the city of Decatur, and the deck. Yeah. I think we have that in common. Once you cross over Memorial Drive, there's a difference between Candler Road. Uh, but it's um, Atlanta's always been, uh, at Georgia, but Atlanta specifically, this really authentic place of possibility. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that was unique, and certainly now as you share where you grew up, Part of the power of that is you could have had a custodian living on the same street as a a vice president. You could have had a pastor living on the same block uh, as a social worker, as an entrepreneur, and there was this beautiful coming together of aspiration. You saw it in your community. You went to school with it. Um, You know, being steeped on the shoulders of the civil rights movement. Mm Um, Growing up, being born in 76, right after a lot of that movement shifted, uh, I've been able to see Atlanta grow. I've been able to see Atlanta go from a town that was on no one's radar to a town that everybody talks about continuously. Um, And I think that we have still yet to really find our stride, uh, because if you ask anybody about me in the city, um, I'm its biggest fan. I've been all over. Mm-hmm. I've been to Silicon Valley, New York, Chicago, Dallas, you name it. I've been there and spent significant time. For black people, the potential that Atlanta has is greater than any other city that I've ever visited. Now, we'll get into that conversation mm-hmm. that, yes, we are labeled the black Mecca. Yes, we are labeled black Hollywood. Yes, we have the best opportunity out there to make it work for black people, but make make no mistake – I love my city enough to be honest with her. And the honest answer is, although we are all of those things, we still lead the country in income inequality. We're the worst city in the country for economic mobility. And the hard conversation that you have to have about Atlanta is about race. Those divides go right along the color line. Good point. And if I look in the city of Atlanta, there are no poor white neighborhoods. There are no failing Latino schools in the school district. 
almost 98% of the demographic driving those deplorable statistics look like you and I. Mm -hmm. And if we want to talk about Atlanta reaching its fullest potential, Atlanta moving forward as a true international powerhouse and city, it's time for us to have a real conversation about race. And if we're not talking about race, we're being intellectually disingenuous in our approach to really try to move the needle. Love it. You bring up very good points. Let's talk about Georgia in the scope of this last political campaign, mm. a blue state, mm. right? How, how does that make you feel? It's Red interesting. for years, <clears throat> centuries, now it's blue. It's, um, we've awakened the sleeping giant. Um, we talked a little bit before the mic went on about, you know, my interest in agriculture. And sometimes people forget that Atlanta is a bit of a bubble. You drive two hours out of Atlanta, it's a different landscape completely. Uh, and people tend to think that the economic engine that drives this state is Atlanta, and it's not. It's agriculture. And that exists outside of these city walls. Um, the political landscape of, of Georgia is going to be uh, highly contested over the next two to four years. Uh, the soul of our state is going to be revealed in a real way. And some of the things that we didn't think were topics of conversation or things that needed our attention are going to be front and center. Uh, and we're going to have to reconcile a tremendous amount of things because we're going to see a Georgia that maybe most of us have never seen before. Uh, we already see it right now under the gold dome with some legislation that some would say is extremely suppressive for voters. Mm -hmm. uh, and this happened immediately. Right. <laughs> so, with the quickness. <laughs> and so stay tuned. Buckle up. These next two to four years, I doubt that anybody will be able to forecast exactly what's to come. But I guarantee that things will change in that blue to red kind of ratio. Uh there's going to be quite the battle for the state of Georgia for, for many years to yeah. come. I think it's so powerful. You're from Georgia, Atlanta, and you're the president and the CEO of the Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Mm. What, a, what an impactful way to give back, right? Mm. So let's talk about, tell me the story of RCIE. It's a powerful story. I mean, I think that <clears throat> to give it full context, you know, I made my wife a promise that I'd never get another job again. Um, it was dramatic. We held hands by the riverside. We prayed about it. Uh, Amen. You've met Chris before. Chris has been with me a little over eight years, and she had a strict mandate. If any recruiters call, any job offers, the answer is no. Um, I knew that Atlanta didn't need another corporate executive or another nonprofit leader. It needed wealthier black people to start closing the gap. My wife and I started a private foundation. I bought into a logistics company. We started on that way um, <clears throat> until this opportunity came along. And there's just very few times in life where you get to be a part of something that you know will outlast you or be a part of something <clears throat> that could potentially change the course of history. I saw that with the potential of the Russell Center, and that's rooted in the history of who the man is. Mm -hmm. Herman Russell, one of the most prolific entrepreneurs the city's ever produced, uh, he integrated the Chamber of Commerce on the city and the state level, built half of our skyline, underwrote the civil rights movement. His brother had a pool inside his house in the 40s and a who tennis court. That, right? In, in a community 40s. that he built himself for black people when the right. mayor put up a wall to say black people can't live north of Peyton Road. Um, when 100 students got locked up during the student movement, they made one phone call, one man bailed them all out. And even in the building that we're in, 
you've got to conceptualize a black man 74 years ago having the audacity to build a headquarter building that's a full city block wide and 50,000 square feet. That's impossible today in real estate terms. Right. He did it 74 years ago. Black man, Jim Crow, segregated racist South with severe speech impediment. So the energy of this space is really rooted in black entrepreneurship, black triumph, black excellence, black accomplishment, mm -hmm. which makes it a little bit different. Uh, this isn't a center that a big corporation just kind of dropped in the hood. Mm -hmm. This isn't where the government said, here's something for you guys on the south side. This is a building that was born of an entrepreneur, built by an entrepreneur, run by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. And it, it brings a certain energy to this space of possibility. Amazing, 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 amazing. So let, let's talk about statistics. I love data and statistics. So. Mm -hmm. Um, the best businesses solve the hardest problems, right? Yep. When I was looking at the RICIE website, I saw a statistic that made my heart drop. According to the data, 37% of African-American households have a net worth of zero. Mm. And Atlanta leads the country in economic immobility and income equality. Now, for our listeners, can you explain what that means to have a net worth of zero and why that's a major problem. Huge problem. I think that we have misdefined poverty. The new, po you know, we, we tend to think poverty is a shack on the west side with the roof falling in. Well, yep. another statistic to add to that is 70% of black people in Atlanta are what's called liquid asset poor, mm -hmm. meaning if they had a $2,000 emergency, they could not satisfy it with their own resources. The cost of perception is killing our community. And to say that poverty, the new poverty, by my definition, is a five-bedroom, all-brick house, two cars in the garage, but you don't have 2000 in the bank. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about a net worth of zero, oftentimes for the average American, their net worth is based on equity in their homes. But if I don't have any equity in my home, I bought a $300,000 house, it's worth $315,000. There's no equity to speak of. There's no wealth to look at. So when you take savings, lack of savings, lack of home equity, lack of open mobility as far as job wages, because we already know that there's a wage gap as much as anything else. That's right. It absolutely creates this very academic, it's arithmetic. It's an equation on how do you keep and have a community at net worth of zero. zero. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, part of our goal is to, we're not going to fix the problem totally. You know, I always kind of bat my eye at organizations saying they're going to fix poverty or they're going to fix the, the, the wealth gap. I don't think one organization can do that. But what our lane and our part of this is to take the companies that we work with, increase their household wealth, increase their profitability, increase their ability to create jobs, it creates more wealth in community. That's right. Uh, so the work that we do is doing our part to combat those very same numbers. But a lot of things that happen within those numbers is a lack of information. And it's, you know, literally how to buy, where to buy, when to buy, what to use. Mm -hmm. Those gaps that we can close, I'm a big proponent of find problems you can do something about and do something. Right. We can do something about that at the base level. I can close the education gap. I can close the preparation gap. Uh, institutional bias and racism aren't challenges that I want to take on. But for those things that we can to combat those horrible statistics, because the real conversation, as I said earlier, 
those statistics in Atlanta, if you talk about class, you get race for free. Mm-hmm. That the poor people in Atlanta look like you and I. And so let us be very right. intentional and very deliberate about who we serve and why. Because it's not, when I talk about race, it's not from an emotional space. I look at it like an economist. In the city of Atlanta, if we want to be better, we got to help the least of these. And unfortunately, currently, we look at who's on top and who's on bottom, that color line is drawn very distinctly. Yep. Um, is there a political future for you? You know what? I tell people all the time, man. <laughs> I hear it. Here's what I, I think. I think influence over in office. It, I transparently, like that. I think we're the only people that sought out political power without creating economic base first. And with politics without economics is almost only celebrity. Mm-hmm. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying that, but it's real for me. Like, you literally have to have the economic undergirding to make things happen. Delta or any big organization that's had the capital moves what happens under the gold dome. It's not because it's just the right thing to do. Sure. And so, yeah, we sure. get me to about $70 million net worth. Uh, yeah, then maybe I'll consider it. But uh, but other than that, yeah, I don't even think y'all. Influence <laughs> over in <laughs> office. There I like you go. that. Yep. I like that. So what are some of the success stories of the Russell Center um, in, for Innovation Entrepreneurship? You know, we had one this morning. I'm, I'm happy. I just reported about it. Um, one of our companies just got national distribution in Target stores. She does STEM education toys for kids. Nice. Um, you know, I talk about stories like Symphony Chips. When they came to us a year and two months ago, uh, they were doing less than 20 cases per month. Now you can find their chips in Walmart, Target, TJ Maxx, and they had a really booming e-commerce platform, over 3,000% growth. Uh, Or FS360, our our contractor that's building this building right now. Um, The pandemic hit them really hard, but with one of our banking partners that was looking to build 37 branches in Atlanta, well, they brought down the contract through the connection through RCIE. So when they thought a year was going to be disastrous for their business, because of the relationships and the connectivity and the access we were able to provide, they've had the best year they've had in four years. Nice. I love that. And we're just getting started. So we, we're actually, Carmetria, in a place where we still have not caught our stride. We've only been doing this for about two years. Mm-hmm. And so for us to go from zero to a little over 28 million raised, success stories like the ones I've named, to have a building or a studio that we can connect in and do this podcast. Mm -hmm. We've been in a really charmed and very blessed and very favorite space uh, because I think that we have the right mission, we have the right uh, vision, uh, and a lot of those things that are kind of unexplainable have been happening because of that. So when I first came to, to view the, the facility, I just got chills oh. because I think about it being a nucleus mm-hmm. for information, inspiration, whatever you need as an entrepreneur or sure. a leader, building relationships, right? So how do entrepreneurs or people get involved uh, with the RCIE? I'm super excited. Um, for the past two years, we've been developing a platform, a model uh, to disrupt the normal kind of incubator accelerator model. Uh, that really focused on how do we help companies grow, scale, and sustain. Uh, The result of that was a platform called Big Ideas, Inspire, Develop, Execute, Accelerate, Scale. Kind of like an HBCU, if you will, for entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. from freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, graduate program, PhD, the different levels one must go through to become an entrepreneur uh, and be successful. Because, you know, I've got a T-shirt that says, Exit is not my strategy. Um, 
I don't believe I th- you know part of the, my, my methodology or method of change is um, if you're only looking for the next Google, you're going to miss a hundred thousand companies that could have been solid million dollar companies, five million dollar companies, ten million dollar companies mm-hmm. that would have created thousands of jobs in our community. And I'm a firm believer if I can help that company go from three hundred thousand in revenue to a million on the west side. In that growth, he's going to hire eight more people in that community. In that growth, his net worth and his household wealth is going to go up. He has the money now to maybe invest in another location, create more jobs, invest in real estate to start closing this wealth gap. But more than anything, he's going to stay in the community. Mm -hmm. That's how you build community, by undergirding the the thing that really keeps communities going, which is the small businesses. you know, for big ideas and how people get involved, go to our website, rcie.org. But very shortly, we're going to have a new name, new website, nice. new curriculum, new employees, new team members. If I'm very persuasive on this call, I don't know. You guys may hear more Carmetria's voice around RCIE than on a podcast, but that's for another time. Uh, Count me in. But it's, it's, it's exciting because we've taken this time to deliberately and intentionally build something that will, will last yeah. and will be a benefit to businesses. Love it. So join our mailing list, rcie.org, or very soon there will be a new website that you can jump on as well. Yeah. So let's talk about you. You're an entrepreneur. I heard you mention a few things, and now you are at the nucleus for small businesses and entrepreneurs, helping them um, create their ideas and create economic impact and legacies mm. for families. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between a small business owner and an entrepreneur? Interesting. I think, eh, I don't want to say guts, but uh, in my definition of it, my definition is they're very similar for sure. Um, But let's say my father owned a pizza shop and he passed it down to me and I manage that shop, I grow that shop, et cetera. I see that as a small business owner. The entrepreneur in the heart of me is someone that sees a void, sees Mm -hmm. a a gap in the marketplace, and they have the courage and the guts to say that I have everything that I need to go attack that problem and eliminate that problem in the marketplace. I see value, I create value, Mm -hmm. I communicate that value, and the risk that it takes to close a gap or to see a problem and eliminate that problem that, in my mind, whether you're successful or not, that's really the determinant of an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. That is that is the heart of an entrepreneur. I see something, and I think that I can make it better. I can make it faster. Uh, I can make it more, more relevant. I can make it different. Um, that's the thing that charges me up. Yep. So, so would you say entrepreneurs provide solutions? They're, that is all entrepreneurship is in my mind. Okay. It is a yep. problem a fix with an economic solution, and that is your entrepreneur, and that is entrepreneurship. I love that. I love that. Um, What 2020, family doing well during the pandemic, thank goodness for that. Um, A lot of small businesses suffered, right? Mm. I was, Mm -hmm. just like you, we were um, glued to the TV, looking at all of the loans that the government was giving. Some companies got them, some companies didn't. Um, A lot of small businesses lost clientele. Mm -hmm. Corporations were in cash preservation mode. So if you were a small business that had a contract, that impacted you as well. Mm -hmm. What should the small business entrepreneur owner, what should they have learned from the year 2020? 
how much we need each other. Um, I think we have to come back to community. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of stories of barber shops uh, who all bought their supplies from one location. And before, they just only saw themselves as competitors. But let's say all 10 of us get together. We're able to buy in bulk. We're able to save a little bit of money. We're able to condense and consolidate. Maybe we all operate out of one shop for a little while. Um, and we'll endure and survive together. Um, I think that as we looked at, you know, throughout history, the thing that has the, the great success stories of business uh, and communities like uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, and Auburn Avenue, and, and uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Greenwood District, Jackson Ward, and Richmond, they have one thing in common. The community supported the community. And I think that when we begin to think as an entrepreneur, it's easy for us to feel like we're on an island or we're isolated or I'm a self-made man and I'm singular in my my approach. We start to lose the thing that's always given us our greatest strength, and that's each other. That's right. And to endure a pandemic, find your tribe. Maybe you can learn something from Carmitri about how to be more successful. But if I'm too afraid to ask for help when I need it, I'm surely going to fail, especially in times like 2020. That's right. So, you know, the undergirding that I give to every entrepreneur I cannot encounter or small business is, you know, it's the African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. No one went fast in 2020. That's right. For the most part. A few winners for sure. But this going together, this going farther together is the mantra for me because now more than ever, 2020 exposed that I need Carmetria Burton. Mm -hmm. I need my partner over here. Maybe the two of us can come together and create something that's better than what we could have done individually on any day. That's right. And uh, I just hope that this this time that we've had during this pandemic uh, has awakened a new collaborative spirit in the community to say, you know, Let's love on each other enough to see value in our own reflection. That's right. And let's figure out a way that we can get the best of each other by working together. That's right. That's right. The power of community. Oh, absolutely. What can corporations do to help the RCIE fulfill its mission? A number of things, and it goes way beyond cutting a check. Yep. I think that big corporations, every big corporation has at least 15 companies in it, mm-hmm. legal they got a law firm, uh, an accounting firm, a marketing firm, an IT firm. And these are the, some of the best in the world that work for these big corporations. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what do black businesses need to be successful? And I paused and I said, well, what do white businesses need to be successful? Because I'm sure it's about the same thing. And so when big corporations look at the things that they must, cha- the, the challenges they have, you got to know that small businesses have the same Let's say we take it out of the economic with the checks they can cut. The expertise they have within their walls can certainly be shared with small businesses. An IT department like Target. Target coming down and talking to retailers about how to be the best retailers they can be. That's right. Maybe big box retail isn't the right fit for you, but I'm going to tell you why. Um, When we talk about, you know, I'm a firm believer in Big corporations spend tremendous amounts of money understanding megatrends and what's coming next in their industry. Well, if you guys share a bit of that information on what's coming next, where the hockey puck is going, I guarantee we can train the next Wayne Gretzky to score. These corporations can pour down through innovation centers or centers like CARCIE to make sure communities understand what's next, and let's start preparing for that. That's right. Um, 
You know, but I, I, as I shared with you many, many months ago when we used to talk, uh, the big corporations also have the brand and the belief because I'm a big believer that you can't only focus on being informative. You have to also focus doubly on being transformative. And if I'm a small business, a small retailer, and I'm getting coaching and mentorship from Clorox and Target and PayPal, sure, I may be, get, I may be getting the best information in the world, but I'm also learning from the best in the world. So what does that make me feel about myself? Mm-hmm. That I got the best in the world spending their time to help me think about how I grow my business. You get into the basic concepts of self-esteem, self-confidence, and belief that are the underpinnings of any successful business. You've got to believe that it's possible. you got to believe that you're going to be able to be successful. you got to believe that you're going to win. That's right. And where do you get that belief from? Yeah. And we want to focus on that as much as the informative here at RCIE in building the whole entrepreneur <clears throat> and the big brands and the big corporations that we have in Atlanta uh, can do a lot to help that. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said, influence over in office, right? <laughs> okay. So That's I follow you on social media, me. okay. and I saw a post that you posted. You were getting on a private jet, ah. and you kind of told your story. Sure. Hey, I was taking a shower at the L.A. Fitness on La Vista yeah. to now – a CEO of a company has sent his private jet yeah. for me to come and sit and talk with him. Mm. What are those conversations like? What are you saying to these influential people? And what has been the outcome? You know, I think that um, I've made a commitment to myself to be as authentic as possible in whatever audience that I have. So it be it a Fortune 50 CEO or just my brothers in the corner that we're having a conversation. And when corporations look at Um, addressing race because let's be honest there's been this great awakening around race over this past year black folks are thinking hey why when how did you just wake up we've been dealing with this for decades and what's the great awakening so really talking about diversity and inclusion in a way that focuses on belonging it's not enough that i hire carmetria burton if when carmetria burton walks in she doesn't feel like she belongs and what's the point um, let's talk about real conversations on how you move communities forward. It's not just uh, what, what do you get, the consolation prize or everybody gets a trophy? No. Let's talk about ownership. Let's have a hard conversation about wealth. Let's talk about real resources that are necessary to move the needle, not kind of this uh, penny ante uh, charity. You know, I, I think oftentimes when we think about money that is distributed, it's distributed through a very paternalistic lens kind of a patch you on the head and do do good with these few pennies that I'm giving mm-hmm. you. Or mm-hmm. it's seen through the lens of charity and not empowerment. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if I got you from a GED to work in a part-time job, shouldn't you be happy for that? Wrong. That doesn't address any of the issues right. that we're talking about. And who's going to be courageous enough to make the investment necessary to see change happen? Who's going to say that the number with the commas that are used, and if we look at the whole picture, it can't be solved with a $2,000 grant? Right. we got to dig deep, and these are big problems, and big corporations have a role to play. I will never say that the role, so, I mean, the responsibility solely rests on their so- shoulders, mm-hmm. but they certainly have a significant role to play in correcting some of the things that we see in our communities. That's right. That's right. Because a lot of the people in our community are their customers. And their employees. That's right. The thing, And that's, that's right. the thing, that's what I share often, is that 
X company, your customer base is 70% of the people that I'm talking about. Right. The people that actually make your widget, the thing that makes you marketable and creates all this wealthy engine that drives your ship are the people that I'm talking about. That's right. And so, you know, keeping that front of mind because, you know, big corporations can exist in bubbles yep. and their towers are very tall. And sometimes at the top floors of those towers, they get very disconnected from the folks that are on the floor. And to be able to have an honest conversation that always reminds them of the reason that your window is clean or your desk is clear or your trash has been taken mm -hmm. out or your food has been prepared is because of the people that we're talking about. This thing doesn't work mm -hmm. without those people. Mm -hmm. I think we want to get ahead of this problem because if the wealth gap continues to widen, it's just not a sustainable model. Right. You can't have one hundredth of one percent having 70 plus percent of the assets in this country. Right. It's just not sustainable. It's just not good business. So you bring up a good point. These, the, you know, these corporations, no fault of their own, right? They live in bubbles, um, you know, but, but how do they get around really being, having a pulse of what's going on in the community? Mm. What do you suggest, right? So, um, you know, one of my suggestions is, I think it starts at the board level. Mm-hmm. People like me and you, mm -hmm. right, need to have seats at the table at the board level to really enforce different outcomes. Right. Right? And then you can, it can trickle down to the executive level, the diversity of it. But how do corporations keep their pulse on, quote, unquote, these communities? Sure. It's, a, it's an intentionality. Like, if I wanted to know what was happening in the community, it's really an equation of how bad do I want to know. Good point. Um that if I'm willing to sacrifice my day to go spend some time in this particular community and learn and listen, mm -hmm. not preach or teach or talk down to right. people, right? but listen, um, I think that the corporations masterfully figure out how to do very complex economic, uh, you know, financial models. Uh, they launch, you know, if you think about the DNA of a corporation and the complexity of all of its moving pieces, you can't tell me that you can't figure out how to connect to the community. And yeah. if there are, like you said, representation from the board seat to the C-suite and everywhere below to the communities that you serve, there there's an unlimited amount of ways that a company can connect with the people that it serves or, or are its customers. The only question to ask, because the how is not the issue, mm -hmm. it's really do you want to? What is your why? Good point. And the how is unlimited because they live and breathe and sleep with you every day. Yep. Good point. And the receipts will show if you really had a true commitment to community. Good point. If you had to challenge corporations, what would it be? Mm, I challenge them as much as I possibly can. And it's that. It is if you gave the veracity that you give a new product launch Wow. to solving wow. a problem. If there was a product on your shelf or in your service offering that never moved, but you believe that there was potential in that product, you would spend almost a limitless amount to get that product front and center and see it move on shelves and make a profit because you believed in it. Well, if you believed in community 
what kind of investment are you willing to make to see this community Excellent win point. if you believe in it? Excellent. Let's have a different conversation, and it's okay if you don't. But let's not patronize communities by saying you do, but your actions don't reflect that That's same right. intentionality. That's right. Right. you got to walk the talk. And if you don't, it's going to show. The video has to match the audio. Come on now. <laughs> but that, that's real. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's the challenge. That's that right. let's, not, let's stop talking in circles about, oh, it's Black History Month. And look at us. We've made a $10,000 contribution. And those are needed. Someone wants help by it. Sure. But if our goal is to really sure. fix it, because I know if I'm running a Fortune 50 corporation and one of my departments is hemorrhaging money, the train stops. We focus right. all attention to go That's fix right. that, stop the bleeding, and right. actually get it back on track. Yep. Most important. A full transformational plan is at play. All the resources, yep. all the consultants, all the capital, yep. all the human capital, all the resources necessary to right that ship. Hmm. Take that same equation that That's you use right. every day, apply it to community. And well, how, how big of an investment are you willing That's to make? Right. Powerful, powerful. My friend, you never disappoint. You're oh. just amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing knowledge. So thank you for your time. But we're going to have a little fun now. So okay. see if the listeners get to know you. Who inspires you and, and when are you inspired? Wow. You know who's inspiring me right now? Issa Rae. Love it. <laughs> Love it. I that. am the biggest Issa Rae student and fan. Issa's journey of I'm not going to chase down Denzel Washington or my line brother and very good friend is Omari Hardwick, the actor. Yep. Um, but she's not going to chase. I'm going to start where I stand. Her her literal business was built with her people around her. Yep. And it is why I don't have to. I have everything that I need right around me. Yep. And the humility and the way that she's grown her business in her authentic way uh, is is inspirational to me. I'm an Issa Rae fan. Issa, if you somehow listen to this <laughs> podcast, come holler to boy. Not but, only that, but be a guest on come the podcast. Come on, man. Come on to the podcast. That'll, that'll get you in the building. I don't, if you Google Dr. Carmichael Burton, it might be worth your while. Uh, but, you know, but I have deep roots, too. My mother was a huge inspiration in my life. Nice. Um, my grandparents were huge inspirations in my life. Uh, but then people inspire me. I yeah. really love people. Yeah. I really love my community and black people. Yeah. When I think about the resilience, the toughness, the, the things that have been overcome, uh, you and I didn't know each other for 40 years, but if I went two, back two generations in your family, I guarantee we got similar stories. Absolutely. And that kind of connectivity is just beautiful to me. Absolutely. Um, and I love it. So, yes, yes, yep. ma'am. If you could teach one subject in high school, what would it be? Ooh. I want to teach entrepreneurship. I want to be like a business ed teacher. Nice. I want to be like. I remember business ed when I was in. That was called, um, I don't remember. Well, Home Ec and all that. Was that part of Home Ec? But no, Business Ed had its own thing. You know, and why I say that? I remember a guy, Mr. Mancuso. He was our business ed teacher. Um, At what school? Henderson High School, DeKalb County represented. And he didn't have to work. You know, he had a really nice car, really nice house, but he chose to teach in retirement. So he had all the accoutrements that young folks were like, ooh, ah, but he had a certain grounding that I'm still, although I could do other things, I'm here to teach. I, I want to be that. I want to be this wealthy old guy at about 65 that does nothing else but goes and parks my Range Rover 
<laughs> in the parking lot and goes to teach these kids yeah. about what's possible. Yeah. Um, and and know that I've seen it. I've done it. I'm not talking from an academic lens. I can show them. I can leverage all of these networks where those high school kids will get the highest level of exposure. You know, they're going to meet the CEOs of big companies. Yep. They're going to be very successful entrepreneurs in a real way. And because I won't need the job, you know, I won't get stressed out because I don't right. need their money. I, right. de- I donate the, my salary to maybe a scholarship for my top student, whatever love it is. Uh, I'd love to do that. Business ed, APS school, 20 years from now, there let's say go. that we're doing that. There you go. Jay Bailey, business ed teacher. Mr. Love Bailey. That. Let's do Mr. it. Mr. Bailey. He's the coolest teacher in the school. In the spirit of black music, <laughs> right? The spirit of, you know, the one thing that always kept the black community together was sure. music. That's how we expressed ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have it. Tickets to the concert. They came back. Would it be Prince or Michael Jackson? Dang. I'm a bigger Prince fan. Got it. Best concert I ever went to, not this last one that he had, but the one before that in Atlanta, where I literally saw a man with a chair turn out Phillips Arena. He had a chair, a guitar, and the chair spun around 360 degrees, and that's it. Yep. No dancers, yep. no lights, no choreography, no fire shooting out of the stage. Yep. A chair, a guitar, and Prince, and everybody was nuts Pure the talent. whole concert. Yep. Pure Never talent. seen anything like it. I just sat in awe. Uh, I love Michael. All, I mean, the Thriller album changed my life. But if I had to say one of the two, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Prince. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, thank you, my friend, for coming down. We appreciate it. Oh, I'm Jay always. Bailey, thank you Atlanta's so much. Atlanta's finest. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Carmitra, as always. Um, it's just an honor to have you here and record here. Good night, folks. All right. We good? We good. A huge thank you to Jay Bailey, the CEO and president of the Russell Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you want to learn more about his work and the mission of the RCIE Center, links will be included in this podcast description. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. We are so happy to be back with you for season two. Stay tuned for the next episodes to come.